Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 27, Never Bored of Board Games. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Urtai as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for being here. You're my first guest that's actually another podcaster to come on the show to talk about his podcast and who you are, which is fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Uh, I'm quite new to podcasting myself, so not... Uh, professional yet <laughs> but yeah well, we're in the same boat so i'm also very new and we're learning as we go on um and i have so many questions for you about you and of course your podcast and i'm hopefully uh i asked them correctly and everything goes smoothly <laughs> yeah <laughs> so before we start to talk about your hobby which we have not mentioned yet who is Ertai? yeah so my name is Ertai shashko i come from a little country in the balkan peninsula uh, Macedonia, which we might soon be called North Macedonia after we resolve our naming problem with Greece. <laughs> I'm in my late 20s. I'm legally blind. I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa, which is a genetic condition that causes your eyesight to deteriorate over time. And I'm also a computer science engineer. I've graduated about five years ago. And that's more or less about it. That's great. And since you are blind, you chose a uh, hobby. Well, the hobby is board games, but you also do podcasting. But let's go to the board game aspect. How did you get introduced to playing board games? Was it a person, an event, a family member? Yeah, so... Well, it mostly was by accident. Uh, uh, we also talked about this with Jet on our intro episode. So what happened was all of us have played Monopoly during our childhood or some other similar like games like Backgammon growing up. But I got introduced to board games back in 2016 by accident when I saw my brother watching a live stream. Uh, it was The game was played on Twitch. It was uh, via Tabletop Simulator. They were playing a game called Secret Hitler on it. And I noticed him laughing and decided to check out what he's watching. I noticed that the game also has a print and play version. So it was free. Decided to print that out, invite a few mates over and fast forward about 50 or 60 games in the span of like four months. <laughs> I was hooked. So yeah, I... Secret Hitler was the first game that uh, I played, a mo modern board game, I should say. I heard your podcast talking about your Secret Hitler game, and you made it sound so much fun that I actually looked up online to try to purchase a, a version of it so I can play with my friends and family. And then we can just uh, pretend to be Hitler and um, the, the people who are trying to find who Hitler is. And I, I heard the story that you accidentally killed Hitler. You're one of Hitler's uh, teammates, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That that was that was a very embarrassing thing to do. So what happened was, I mean, when I first started playing, I still had useful eyesight left. Like I could play the game without having too much trouble uh, realizing who is on my team and who is not, because the game has this part where if you happen to be a fascist which is, uh, you are not Hitler, but you belong, belong to the bad guys team, the fascists. And uh, at the beginning of the game, 
you if you are a fascist you need to open your eyes and acknowledge your teammates just to figure out who your teammates are and the other team the liberals they are uh, sitting there with their eyes closed and as a fascist you basically need to set hitler up to become a chancellor at some point during the game hitler meanwhile raises his thumb so as a fascist you need to see his thumb to know that he is hitler and because my eyesight was going bad slowly, I started requiring more and more time to uh, figure out who my teammates were. And because, I mean, other people, usually you can't wait five minutes for me to examine everyone separately because it's a game that's usually played with seven or more players. So what happened was I didn't see who Hitler was, but didn't want to restart the game because at that point we already had a couple of restarts because of someone else uh, screwing up, basically opening their eyes when they shouldn't have. And I decided oh, I'm going to continue and see see what happens during the game. I'll figure out who Hitler is. So fast forward a couple of turns, I ended up having to shoot someone and I had no idea who Hitler was at that point. My chances were about uh, 1 over 6 to hit Hitler. And I accidentally hit Hitler. And every time after that, I was very stressed out when playing that game. So I needed to find a solution on how to play the game and not play at a disadvantage as a fascist and be stressed out all the time not to lose the game for my team. So you said you had to find a solution. Did you find one yet or...? Yeah, so I came up with an idea to work around the team assignment part with an app. Basically, I wrote an Android app which randomizes the teams. You initially enter the player names, so everyone that's sitting around the table, and then the app randomizes the teams and assigns everyone to a team. And the players then pass around the phone uh, looking at the screen and reading their own team. And if they are a fascist, then they can see who the other players are on their team. You can also mark some of the players as blind players or visually impaired players. And that enables a text-to-speech synthesizer on the app. So uh, those players basically need to plug headphones in and the app reads out the names of the teammates. So yeah, right now when I'm playing Secret Hitler, I just use the app, plug the headphones when it's my turn to hear to my role assignment and if I should uh, hear my teammates' names. And yeah, we that sorts that problem out. That's that's actually wonderful. Um, is it's in the uh, Play Store? Um, no, I haven't published it to the Play Store because it's simply a prototype yet. It's you can download it through our website. I have a link put on there. Uh, I had a blog post about it on how it functions because I haven't designed any UI for it. Uh, designing UI as someone who has poor vision is horrible experience. I mean, it's the part that I hate the most. The code is basically open source. You can find the full source code on GitHub. And I was hoping if someone was interested in just uh, contributing to the UI and just polish the app a bit to be worthy of putting it in the Play Store. But yeah, I haven't had any messages yet about someone being interested in working on that part a little bit. 
Okay, so what I'm going to do for at the end of this podcast or when we're going to post this podcast is put all the links in the description and hopefully somebody who is listening to it can jump in and help you out because it's a wonderful idea and hopefully they can take that same aspect and apply it to multiple board games in the future. Yeah, so there are plenty of board games that can benefit from simple solutions like this and I've been trying to come up with uh, ideas for some of them. So, yeah, especially like the team assignment mechanic is used in a couple other games. Like there's one called The Resistance, there's Ultimate Werewolf, and some of the werewolf variances, variants. So, yeah, something like this can make those games accessible to the blind. That's pretty awesome. Now, speaking of which, what would you say is the best part about board games for you? on a personal and emotional level? The best part, um, I would say the social interaction. I used to play video games quite a bit growing up and I found that board games is a great replacement, but the social interaction, like you get to spend time with people, you're in the same room and I guess that's very fulfilling. I mean, usually people who are blind or especially those who are like me that lose their sight later in life. So my biggest deterioration happened during my mid-twenties. And adjusting to loss of vision can be hard and you tend to isolate yourself. Uh, You tend not to, let's say, go to bars, which is, let's say, very common here. I mean, I have friends that go like every two days to a bar for a cup of coffee and just chat. But... Having uh, dim lighting in bars and having being stressed not to bump into someone or break something because of the poor lighting, you tend to isolate yourself. And with board games, I have found something that uh, lets me spend more time with the people I love, with family and friends. That's wonderful. And do you prefer playing board games at home or do do you have board game cafes in your area? Yeah, so in Macedonia, I don't live in the capital. We have one board game store where they also have like uh, places, uh, let's say tables to play. But in my city, we don't have uh, either any stores or cafes. So we usually play at my house. I have plenty of space to accommodate up to like 10, 12 people at the most, but we usually play like four to five. So usually, yeah, we play at my house. I I invite them (laughs) and I got a few comments just last week, like saying, I have never visited someone else's house that much as I visited yours. So it's starting (laughs) to get a bit (laughs) awkward uh, around like, (laughs) it can be a bit weird. Like we are at your house like every week. Well, they're pretty much family at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So speaking of which, how, so how often do you play board games? Not just with friends, but let's say single player board games as well, if that's a thing. Yeah, um, I tend not to play single player board games because as I said, I just enjoy the human aspect of it, like having someone else around and like, even if it's a cooperative game, you just collaborate with someone else. Uh, we play, I have started to invite people over at least once a week 
uh, since uh, August. And we've been doing a great job since then. We've pretty much haven't missed a week so far. Yeah, we're playing at least once a week. And is it a continuous game or do you play different games? Um, yeah, we we just uh, spice things up, spice things up a bit. Uh, I'm they are some of them are not uh, gamers per se, so they uh, I need to give them some gateway games like beginner games until they get uh, more accustomed to some of the more complex rules that some other games have. Like we haven't started a game that has a campaign, let's say that you play over, I don't know, a few months. So we play one shot. Usually they are shorter games, like at most one hour uh, of length. But yeah. Would you be open to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Um, that's actually a good question. I, I'm meeting a group, uh, an online group, because my friends aren't that much into role-playing games, an online group for the first time this Tuesday. So that's two days from now. We're recording here on Sunday. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah, I'm meeting a group. Uh, we are going to try out. One of the group members has made his own system. It's some sci-fi themed uh, role-playing game. And we're going to have our first session on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to see how that goes. But I haven't played a role-playing game before. Uh, but would love to try one out. I played D&D a few times. It's really complex, but it's extremely fun. The, the ability to do anything and everything you can imagine is fantastic. You see an enemy on a building. You say you climb from a tree. You try to slingshot far away. It's just the possibilities are endless, which is extremely fun. And thinking that you love playing board games, I'm sure you're going to love D&D. Oh, yeah. I've also seen like uh, it's recommended to many blind and visually impaired people because most of the stuff happens in your imagination and you build a story and everything. So, yeah, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yeah, you would need to have an extremely good imagination to really enjoy D&D. And I'm yeah. sure you do. <laughs> now, what is your favorite board game right now that you're playing? Oh, this is this is a tough one. Um, I don't think I have one specific favorite one. Like I I enjoy both cooperative and competitive games. For instance, I really like Pandemic, but mm. unfortunately my group is not that into cooperative games. They just like to stab each other in the back most of the time. <laughs> but yeah, Pandemic I would say is one of my favorite games. Then most recently uh, I got a game called Dice Forge, where you basically uh, have customizable dice. So the die, the dice faces are remo removable. You roll your dice and accumulate resources, and then use those resources to uh, increase the power of your own dice. So that's an interesting mechanic. And maybe one of my favorite games right now. I, I do love Pandemic. There's another game I played that I really enjoyed. It's cooperative. It's called Zombicide. So oh, the yeah. idea, you know it? Yep, yep. I've uh, heard about it. Haven't played it personally, but yeah, I know. It's a very cooperative game, but at the same time, you could be a jerk and level up and leave all your <laughs> friends behind. So it can get very, very cooperative, but very competitive at the same time. Right, yeah. <laughs> 
Now, how many games do you personally have? Because I have a collection. I have like over 40 games at my house. Oh, wow. Well, well you definitely don't have more than I do. Because <laughs> I recently started uh, collecting games myself. Uh, so I started uh, in the ter- uh, beginning of 2018. I have... Oh, I'm not sure about the correct count, but closing 20 games or so right now. So yeah, uh, most of them are print and play games because get uh, buying games here in Macedonia can be quite expensive, especially like with the standard wages here in Macedonia. So uh, the average pay here is around 300 to 350 euros. Like minimum minimum wages around 200 euros. So spending, let's say, 50 euros on a game per month can be <laughs> quite expensive. So that's why most of my games are print and play games, but they do the job. But it's great that uh, the, the internet is there, that you can just print out games for free or find versions of the games that are free. Speaking of yeah. which, how many, how many games are converted to be accessible for visually impaired individuals? Um, out of the box, you don't really get too many games that are, let's say, fully accessible uh, to the blind. I mean, they most games, or well, most games recently are trying, are paying more attention to accessibility problems. And for instance, they are trying to, instead of just color coding some game components, like separating them by color, let's say green, red, blue, they also include icons uh for people who are colorblind and it's a bit uh lame that there are still some publishers using color alone to let's say separate different components uh because colorblindness is very common among uh the players and it sometimes can be very difficult to distinguish uh, red from green or blue from purple and other sorts of colorblindness uh, conditions. Um, as I said, yeah, out of box, not many games come uh, prepared for the blind. So usually you need to do some kind of modification depending on the game. For instance, games that use uh, hidden information, let's say a hidden uh, hand of cards, you usually need to mark those cards in a way. And uh, if you know how to read braille you can put let's say labels braille labels on those cards and fill them but if for someone like me that doesn't know braille i mean i still can't read braille i haven't taken any uh, courses to learn that i probably should because uh, i'm limited to the number of games i can play without braille i just tend to mark cards in a way i can uh, recognize them. Uh, marking cards is usually a solution for some games that have, let's say, low amount of cards. Uh, most recently, I got a game called Colt Express. It's a cowboy game where the players are robbing a train, and the game is played with cards. There's about 10 cards and about six or seven different actions that you can take with those cards. But because the hands are hidden, you need to figure out a way to uh, distinguish the cards in your hand. And what I usually do is put some kind of stickers, something that's tactile, on the corners. And let's say if 
uh, I have a sticker on the right corner, uh, I know that that card is a punch. Or if I have a sticker on the bottom right corner, I know that card is to move left or right and uh, tricks like that. So, yeah. But that's I find that very interesting about uh, humans that we find ways to adapt to make it work for us. So you you don't read Braille, but you found a technique that works for you. So you put stickers and you put little objects to make it understandable for you. Does it work for any of other friends of yours who are visually impaired? Um, I I don't have any, like in my group that we play, I don't have uh, any visually impaired friends. So, uh, and also I should mention that another uh, important aspect of playing board games with low vision or no vision is having patient people uh, with you that will help you during the game like most games that have open information or some kind of map for instance pandemic let's uh, use that game as an example pandemic is a cooperative game where everything is open information and you rely a lot on your fellow friends to let you know about the board state, uh, uh, about the current board and game state, basically. So you can mentally update what's happening on the map. A sighted assistance plays a huge part in playing board games as a blind player. Now for you, what is your preferred way of learning how to play a new game? Would it be a screen reader or somebody reading the rules out to you? So when I learn a game, um, because I bring most of the new games uh, in my group, I'm the one that's collecting games. You're the dealer. Uh, yeah, I'm the <laughs> dealer of the drugs. <laughs> uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, my brother helps a lot with that, but I, I would like for the publishers to provide more accessible digital versions of their rule books. And I recently wrote a blog post about it because most of the rule books are not uh, accessible to screen readers. And if you've, you've, so you said that you have already have uh, plenty of games and you've seen many rule books. Uh, so you know that there's different colors. Uh, sometimes text can be very poorly contrasted and then it's not written, let's say, like a novel from top to bottom there are some blurbs on the left images on the right and the screen reader gets all confused if it's not marked properly so learning through the rule book with a screen reader can be a challenge most of the time so i either ask my brother or learn the game with my brother together and we try a test game or most of the time i just watch YouTube videos and listen to how the game is played. Uh, also read some of uh, some other blog posts or game reviews where they usually cover on how the game is played. So yeah, uh, it's, it's a bit tough uh, learning a game uh, as a, someone who's blind. Uh, learning a game so then you can later teach it. I mean, if there's someone else that has played the game before and can just teach you, that's, that's great. But when you're the one that's supposed to do the teaching and the person that brings the game to the table, yeah, it can be a bit a bit tricky. So there's one game I really enjoy playing. I'll try to find an online uh, version for you. It's called Snake Oil. So the point of the game is that you get cards in your hand and each card says a word different. So 
chair, flower, water, cloud. And then the other card is somebody who is a judge. So somebody can be a pilot or a cheerleader or a captain or a teacher. And the mm -hmm. other players have to combine two cards together to make a new product and sell it to, let's say, the pilot. So let's say I have a chair cloud and I would say, oh, you as a pilot, you would love a chair cloud because you don't even need a plane. You just have a chair that turns into a cloud and just float away. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's just the idea of using your imagination, which is something that's very important for a blind gamer, correct? Yeah, yeah, that, that that sounds like fun. Um, one question though is, are the are the cards like hidden? The cards, the cards would be in your hand. So I'm trying. To, I'll see if I can look up uh, if they uh, have it an online version where each player can play it off their phone and see if they can read it. Because I know they have like Cards Against Humanity. I don't know if they have that read it or read out to players, but I feel like that would be a pretty fun game if they have it accessible for the blind and visually impaired. Yeah, so um, there's also like, I've also used uh, an app. Well, there are plenty of OCR, optical character recognition apps out there. Uh, we also talked about this on the first episode of our podcast. Uh, one of them is called Seeing AI by Microsoft, where you point your phone to a card and it reads the text that the camera can see back to you. So... I've used that for a game called uh, Battlestar Galactica Express, uh, and it can work quite well, but if there are too many cards, let's say it becomes too fiddly, uh, the experience might not be the best. But yeah, some other tricks like that can be used to play some games. So maybe Snake Oil is a good candidate for that if there's not too much card drawing and you don't need to, let's say... Um, remember too many cards between too many yeah be between too many number of cards well in that case like they say they have 10 cards in your hand but you could choose the amount of cards you have you could say you could play with six cards or four cards make it simple mm -hmm. and then but i'll send you the link so you can uh, find it and look it up i'll try to also find a link online hopefully i can find one that's accessible for you as well now yeah, thanks sp speaking of which would you ever consider making a game uh i've thought about it but I haven't tried, well, tried for reals, let's say. I mean, as a shower thought, it has passed, crossed my mind. But one of the problems that I see would be that making a game alone as someone who's blind might be a bit of a challenge because uh, it requires plenty of prototyping and fiddling a lot with scissors and glue and all of that to get the final components would be a bit of a problem. So let's say the concept phase should be simple enough. I mean, I can type uh, in a notepad and everything, but when it comes to producing the components later on, I'll definitely need help from others. So alone, it can be tough, but perhaps with someone else to help out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it sounds like you have a good group of friends that you meet up every week, and I'm sure you guys are going to go through so many board games. You'll create a new idea for a new board game accessible for everybody, and it will create chaos and friendships, and you will all have fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. What was your biggest challenge when you first started playing board games as a blind person? Uh, yeah, so well, the biggest challenge was the one, let's say, hidden information in Secret Hitler. Um, that was when 
I realized that I'll need to either figure something out on how to continue playing that game or just stop playing the game altogether. And thankfully, I, uh, as a computer science graduate, I have an idea how to code an app or something to help out and use technology to help out with inaccessible things. And yeah, uh, I think that was the biggest challenge at first uh, that I found a workaround for. And what is your current biggest challenge? Is it still very similar or has it changed? There are more medium to heavier games that involve, let's say, more complex games that have much more components and uh, a lar- large maps, let's say, with hexagons. I mean, I would really love to play uh, some war games. I haven't tried any yet uh, with my group, but before buying a game, I need to research it a lot. So just to make sure that I can play it because I don't have a board game cafe, as I said earlier, nearby where I can just go and let's say pay a fee and try out a game to make sure I can play it as someone who is blind. So yeah, I guess uh, more complex games, games that have hidden information and a lot of cards that simply can't be memorized or can't be simply marked so they can be felt by touch is a big challenge. Perhaps learning Braille can help with this as then I could braille label those cards and then the number of cards won't really matter but yeah what are some misconceptions about people who are blind and play board games i should start first with in general there are misconceptions with board games to begin with like when you mention board games to someone who has never played them before or well who hasn't uh, looked into the hobby at all the first thing they think about is Monopoly. And if they've ever played it, then they think about the six to 10 hours <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, game time that a single game has lasted and probably wasn't very exciting unless you had drinks. And the first thing so they associate with is Monopoly. And I've read a comment once saying that Monopoly is like the silent film era that is for movies. Like when you look at a silent movie now, when you have blockbusters, like, I don't know, Avengers and everything, uh, Monopoly is like the silent film when compared to the movie industry. So yeah, that's one of the misconceptions. Another one would be that um, the barrier for entry, people think that it's too high, that like, Games are very expensive, and but that's not really true. I mean, there's plenty of cheap games out there, and you don't have to own a full shelf of 50 or 60 games to enjoy this hobby. So, yeah. Yeah, not even 40 games. Whoever owns 40 games, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have 39, just, yeah, just to be fair. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just if you just stay under yeah, 40, you're great. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and one one more thing I would say about blind uh, gamers is that uh, in general, well, for the blind people may think that you are helpless and sometimes they could overhelp while you're playing the game. Like even it's hard, for instance, to understand how much someone can memorize 
because as you lose sight your other senses uh, uh, are getting better let's say and you come up with new ways of thinking about things to adjust to the loss of sight basically you compensate for that and usually let's say when 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 i first started playing with my friends they would uh, tend to overhelp in the beginning but yeah it's gotten better now i mean the more we play the more they are familiar of what i need or and what's important so yeah so it's a learning process for everybody yeah exactly did playing board games ever stress you out and if so what do you do to try to calm yourself down or relax <laughs> the stressing part was at the beginning when basically when i screwed up playing secret hitler and i shot my own teammate <laughs> Uh, and after that, like every game was very stressful, especially that initial part of opening your eyes and looking at the other players to see who's with you on the team. But as I've been coming up with new ways to uh, make games more accessible, uh, I I haven't experienced any stress. So yeah, I guess finding the solutions has helped a lot. But you haven't found any stress when you're playing a competitive game with your friends and they're always targeting you or, you know, those games like like Monopoly, for example, known to break friendships. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that's uh, maybe, uh, well, not maybe stressful, but it's thrilling, let's <laughs> yes. say. But yeah, I mean, that's that's fun type of stress, let's say. <laughs> it's not like dread. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are some minor changes that board game publishers can do to make games more accessible to the blind? Oh, wow. There's, there's, there's plenty they can do. Uh, some of them are, let, I mentioned earlier, the rule books. So the instruction manuals, if they could make them a little bit more accessible, um, I don't think they know how many blind people are playing board games. I guess we are uh, still... Uh, tiny minority so it's not really worth their uh, money and time to spend some more time on making board game rule books more accessible but uh, after i did some research uh, because the rule books usually are quite small uh, 10 to 15 pages for most games and that's not enough text there as well so it shouldn't really be too expensive uh to make those uh rule books accessible to screen readers next i would say minor changes like for instance if you have resources in a game let's say you need to collect wood uh stone gold not making those resource tokens the same size and shape would be really helpful. Uh, for instance, uh, either separating them by their texture or separating them by size or by shape, for instance, making the stone tokens round, making the wood tokens squares or gold tokens as triangles, for instance, that's a very minor change, but can really help distinguish the components. Now, I have a prediction. It might not be true, but I feel like our generation, we're millennials, a lot more of us play board games than previous generations. And as we get older, 
eyesight will diminish and not get as good, but people will still love to play board games. So it might force the companies to try to adapt more board games for those people. It's a re- weird prediction that I just thought up right now. It could be completely false, but hopefully they come up with solutions before we get too old. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I really hope so. I mean, I, I really enjoy this hobby. I, I really hope it just keeps getting better from here. I honestly want to try to play a board game in the perspective of somebody who's visually impaired, just by listening or feeling. Because I feel like it's a it's a same experience, but at the same time, it's a completely different experience. You're not relying on your eyes; you're relying on the feel and the sound. I highly recommend you check out a game called Nyctophobia. It was released this year, and um, the designer of that game designed that game. Her name is Catherine Stipple. Uh, she designed the game to play it with her blind uncle. Basically, in the game, a few of the players are in a forest and are being hunted by an ex-murderer. And one of the players is the ex-murderer trying to get them. Uh, the catch is that the Players that are running away in the forest, they use uh, dark shades uh, through which you can't see. So glasses that are fully dark. And you navigate the map by touch alone. So the components are made in a way that you can uh, feel them and distinguish them. So yeah, it's it's a great game to put you in the shoes of a blind person. That's awesome. I'd love to try that. Do you have that game? Yeah, yeah, I got that game. I'm currently in the process of writing about it. So yeah. Okay, that's that sounds because I like games that think outside the box and make you try new things. That's awesome. Yep, yep, it's it's a very very unique game. I'll ask you for the link after the show is done, so I can actually put it in the description as well and look it up for myself. Yeah, sure. How did uh, board games have an impact on your perspective on life? Did it teach you to be more imaginative, more patient, more precise? Um, definitely uh, more creative when trying to find solutions to make them more accessible for myself. I, it also is, it has taught me and still teaching me how to be more patient uh, because usually I need more time to, let's say, either learn a game more time during the game when I need to make my move. Sometimes I May might need more time than the rest of the sighted group until I process everything before I make a move. So I'm also sure that it has made some of my friends more patient in general. Because uh, if you have someone who's blind in your group, the other players need to have some sort of patience and the willingness to help. So I'm quite thankful that I have such friends and family. It's good to have that community around to be there for you and you're there for them too. Speaking of yeah. which, one of my questions were, do you, ha- do you want to present this hobby to the world or escape or use it as an escape from reality? But based off of you making a podcast about it, <laughs> I feel like you want to share it with the world, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, I uh, participate in a couple of Facebook groups, uh, support groups for people who have retinitis pigmentosa. And when I see, I mean, there's 
millions of people suffering from that condition. The group has several thousand users and every day I see new people popping up and just saying, hey, thanks for adding me to the group. I just got diagnosed. And I can only imagine what those people are going through because I found out about my diagnosis when I was 22, just after I uh, graduated. And yeah, because you eventually will need to stop doing some of the things because you can't do them anymore. For instance, one of my hobbies was photography uh, before, and you can't really do photography without having a decent eyesight. So yeah, I had to stop doing that because it simply became impossible. Like you can't really distinguish colors anymore. Everything becomes a blur and yeah. Also briefly, I played with, I started collecting Lego uh, sets. And after my site started deteriorating more and more, it simply became more and more frustrating because having to find all those little pieces and then colors that sometimes blend with each other became a problem. And games, board games in general has been great to replace those hobbies that I can't do anymore. Video games is also another one because once uh, even games that I remember that I could play very well Let's say uh, my co-host Jed said that he had installed SimCity 2000 and when he looks at the screen, it doesn't look the same anymore because your site has altered so much that it looks like a different game now. And mm. it just becomes frustrating because it is either very slow to play it or you just get annoyed you know yeah so yeah board games being something that's tactile and having people nearby that you can interact with it's 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 great so yeah definitely introducing it to more people who are in my position is awesome and of course you not only have board game as a hobby you're also a podcaster which is also a fantastic hobby whether you are visually impaired or not yeah, for sure. Definitely. Do you have any word of advice for people who might be interested in picking up this hobby? Um, yeah. Uh, the first thing would be not to be overwhelmed. Uh, like if you go to the board, a site called Board Game Geek, you'll see thousands and thousands of games there. And it can be very overwhelming. But if you just want to try a game, but you are not sure what to choose or what to pick, I would say just go to YouTube, type something like Gateway Board Game Top 10. You'll probably find a few videos there. Just choose any of the videos and look at that top 10 list. Uh, most of those games are uh, quite fun and great for beginners. Uh, it's great to spend time with your family and friends. And if you happen to be blind, uh, shameless promotion here, you can check out our blog and podcast site, Less Fun, where I talk about board games that can be played by the blind. 
And if you just need any kind of recommendation, you can just shoot me a message and I'll be happy to give you advice. Speaking of which, do you have any social media links you'd like to share? Twitter, Instagram, website, podcast, or any other board game websites you'd like to share? I'm at SightlessFun on Twitter. Uh, our website is www.sightless.fun. And yeah, if you have any questions, you can either send a message via Twitter or for something more private, you can use uh, my email, sightlessfun at outlook.com. So there you have it. I'll put all the information in the, the show notes below so it'll be easy to find. Now, do you have any questions for me about board games? It could be absolutely anything at all. Um, what's your favorite board game right now? Because you seem to have a large collection. Uh, my favorite board game, I actually prefer playing card games. G games that require creativity and imaginative aspect. <laughs> but let's say I do like a game that's called Drunk, Stoner, Stupid. It's not my favorite game, but it's a fun <laughs> game where it's cards saying who is most likely to go on a double date kind of thing or who's most likely to get lost in the shopping mall and you'd give the card to your friend and you would have to prove to them saying this is you and they would have to say no this is not me this is somebody else oh that sounds like fun it is very fun i'll, I'll give you the link to that too so that one is very oral there's no things to memorize you just have a card somebody reads it out and then you give it to each other until one person says okay fine i'll take it yeah, sound, sounds like a game with a lot of player interaction. Something my group would love. <laughs> and then you would get angry at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the cards are pretty ridiculous. Um, let's see, then another board game I love, Zombicide. Um, also like Risk. If you have good friends, the game of Risk, it's a war game. Yeah. A strategy war game where you just conquer the world. Uh, and then, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. I it's, it's a long time to set up. But it's very fun, and the creative aspect of it is wonderful. But I also like simple games too, like uh, uh, was it uh, not Connect Four or uh, Jenga, the Tower one? Oh yeah, I have that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's all everything and anything, but it also depends on who you play with, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it really depends on the people. Some people are great to play with. Some people do not like games and just like winning and get angry when they lose. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> luckily, my group, I don't have such people in my group. I mean, we just enjoy our own company. And yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. I have a small group like that too. Yeah. But we don't meet up as much as you do. I would want to, but life gets crazy and busy. Oh, yeah. But hopefully in the future. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it's it's hard to uh, organize weekly. I mean, we tend to we tended to struggle a bit in the beginning, but it seems to be a little bit better now. And it's healthy for your friendship and your health to just have that human interaction as well. Yep, for sure. So there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you, Urtai, for coming on the show and talking about your passion with the world. I learned a lot more and I have all the resources now to check out some cool games you recommended. I'll put all those links in the description below and I'll also put your social media information so that people can find you. And if they have any questions, like you said, you're not shy, you can answer all the questions, correct? Yep. Yep. And thank you very much for inviting me to the show. It was a pleasure. It was a good conversation. So once again, if you'd like to learn more about Urtai, you could find him in the description below. And if you'd like to be on my show or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. 
So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.